I invite you to turn in your Bibles this evening to 1 Kings chapter 15. 1 Kings chapter 15. We'll begin at verse 9 and read through verse 24. Just by way of a few words of introduction, as a reminder to us, uh, we've seen as we have studied the book of 1 Kings, the division of the kingdom of Israel, the kingdom of David and Solomon, into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom of Judah. So from now on, it is the northern kingdom of Israel, the ten tribes, and the southern kingdom of Judah and Benjamin, usually referred to as Judah. And the author of Kings has told us of Jeroboam, the first king of the northern kingdom of Israel, of his creation of an alternative worship site, that is, an alternative worship site to Jerusalem and the temple there. Uh, Jeroboam built a, a worship center in Bethel and also to the north of the northern kingdom of Israel in, in Dan. And we have read and seen how he erected metal calves of uh, which I'm sure he intended to represent Yahweh or the God of Israel, and yet they were an abomination to God. And also, he uh, had ordained priests who were not uh, fit to be priests. Anyone who chose from the northern kingdom could be a priest in the service of this false temple of worship. We heard that the prophet from Judah and his, uh, of his disobedience to God's command and God's punishing him. We've heard of the judgment pronounced by the prophet Ahijah upon Jeroboam's sons, telling uh, Jeroboam's wife that all of his sons would be uh, put to death by God, uh, and uh, we've seen that. Not yet seen that fulfilled, but that was the prophecy that was made. And now the writer of Kings is directing our attention to the southern kingdom of Judah and the reign, we saw last time, of Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, and Rehoboam's son, Abijam. And now we're coming tonight to uh, the third in the series of kings of the southern kingdom, King Asa. We're going to see tonight how uh, God uses Asa to bring about a reversal in the southern kingdom. Uh, Asa is a godly king, and he uses Asa to bring about um, a change in, in a reformation in the kingdom of Judah. So here, then, let's... Uh, Give our attention then to the Word of God and 1 Kings chapter 15, beginning in verse 9, reading through verse 24. In the 20th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Asa began to reign over Judah. And he reigned 41 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Makkah, the daughter of Abishalom. And Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as David his father had done. 
And he put away the male cult prostitutes out of the land, and he removed all the idols that his father had made, and he also removed Maka, his mother, from being queen mother because she had made an abominable image for Asherah, and Asa cut down her image and burned it in the brook Kidron. But the high places were not taken away. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was wholly true to the Lord all his days. And he brought him into the house of the Lord, he brought into the house of the Lord the, uh, the sacred gifts of his father and his own sacred gifts, silver and gold and vessels. And there was war between Asa and Basha, the king of Israel, all their days. And Basha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and built Ramah, that he might permit no one to go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. And then Asa took all the silver and the gold that were left in the treasuries of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house and gave them into the hands of his servants. And King Asa sent them to Ben-Hadad, the son of Tadrimamun, the son of Hezion, the king of Syria who lived in Damascus, saying, Let there be a covenant between me and you, and as there was between my father and your father, behold, I am sending to you a present of silver and gold. Go break your covenant with Basha, the king of Israel, that he may withdraw from me. And Ben-Hadad listened to King Asa and sent the commanders of his armies against the cities of Israel and conquered Ijon, Dan, Abel, Beth, Makkah, and all Chinneroth, and all the lands of Naphtali. And when Basha heard of it, he stopped building Ramah, and he lived in Tirzah. Then King Asa made a proclamation to all Judah. None was exempt, and they carried away the stones of Ramah and its timber with which Basha had been building, and with them King Asa built Geba of Benjamin and Mitzbah. Now the rest of all of the acts of Asa, all his might and all that he did, and the cities that he built, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? But in his old age he was diseased in his feet, and Asa slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David his father, and Jehoshaphat his son reigned in his place. So ends the reading of God's word. Let us pray. Eternal God, our Heavenly Father, we do give thanks to you that you have given to us this word about your covenant people. And we thank you, Father, for those great promises that you gave to them. You gave them to Abraham. You made promise to him of a seed that would come from his body, that would cause all of the nations of the earth to be blessed. You gave promise to David that he would have a son that would sit on his throne that would have an eternal kingdom. So, Lord, as we look now at the history of your people, we ask, O Father, that you would give us um, the eyes to see and to hear, ears to hear, those things that you have for us from this account. We ask this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I'd like to look at uh, this uh, account of King Asa's life in, uh, under three headings. Uh, the first is 
Asa's family tree. Asa's family tree. And the second, Asa's faith and the works that followed it. And then thirdly, uh, Asa's trouble. Asa's trouble. And we note uh, right away uh, Asa's uh, family tree. He does not have a good parentage. Uh, Both his father and his mother were, uh, his father was tolerant of idolatry in Judah and Jerusalem and uh, allowed the worship of false gods in, uh, in Judah. And uh, his mother was, as we will see tonight, a worshiper of uh, idols and, and a leader in that. And so his earthly parents and his influences were not great. I want to just use a little illustration of something that we see in, uh, in this account of Asa. We're told um, that Asa... Uh, was did what was right in the eyes of the Lord as David, his father, had done. Uh, this past fall, um, when I was trimming uh, some bushes for my mother at her house, um, there was, uh, I got this harebrained idea that I would take uh, one of those old seemingly dead uh, branches uh, and uh, stick it in uh, a, a vase of water and let it sit there all winter in water and just see what it did. And I uh, spoke to my brother-in-law, Bob Wanamaker, who is a very smart man when it comes to things horticultural, and I told him about my plan to see what could happen to this branch. And uh, he said, nothing will come of it. And I said, all right. Uh, but I decided to go ahead, not listen to him, go ahead with it anyway. And just the other day, as I was looking out the window sill uh, where, that, where that, th- that thing is sitting, I looked at it, and I was shocked to see there was a green leaf growing out of the top. And I was very, that made me very, very happy. It gave me something certainly to gloat about the next time I see Bob. A green leaf out of a branch that seems dead. New growth coming out of a dead branch. The the wonder of the way in which new life can come from seemingly dead stock. That's kind of what we see with Asa. Asa did not have a great family upbringing. And uh, yet... God did a miracle in Asa's heart. Here we see a man that we kind of don't expect to see. We we expect to see that he is going to follow in his father's footsteps, who was not true to the Lord his God. And that Asa also, having grown up in that environment, would not follow Uh, any different direction than the direction that his father had set. Top of that, his mother is mentioned, and uh, she is mentioned in this text as being someone who led the people of Israel in the worship of that which is an abomination. And so 
uh, Asa's earthly parentage was not great. And, uh, you know, when we think about the stock of Adam, when we think about um, uh, mankind as a whole, uh, as we are from Adam, we can see how if, if anything new or living is to come from that old stock, it is because it is a miracle of God's grace. God interrupts Judah's slide into idolatry by giving Judah a godly king. What a wonderful thing. And it reminds us how each one of us needs a work of grace in our own hearts, a new principle of life, a principle of life that transfers us from the old stock of Adam and grafts us in to the new stock of Christ. And that's what Paul writes about in Romans chapter 6. Those of you who are in Christ, he says, have died in Christ Jesus. Those of you who are, been, uh, have, uh, are in Christ have been united with him in his death. And if so, we will be united with him in his resurrection. And so what is true of our fallen father Adam, what is true of maybe our parents or our grandparents before, is not necessarily true of the one whom God has called to be one of his children is not true of those whom has been given a new principle of spiritual life. Esau, Esau, excuse me, Asa uh, was one in whom we see this principle of life. And it says that Asa took, um, he had a heart that was wholly true to the Lord all his days. What a wonderful thing to see God's grace at work in the, in the, in the life of this man. Uh, we're told that uh, in the Gospel of John that um, uh, the Word uh, became flesh and dwelt among us. And those of us who receive Him, who believe in His name, He gives the right to become the children of God, born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. One who is a Christian is one who is supernaturally born of God. Think about your own life. Think about your possibly, and we all have different family stories. Some of us come from believing families. Some of us don't. But uh, maybe uh, the influences in your life were not all that great. But at some point, the word of God came to you. The gospel came to you. And God quickened your heart, and you were able to hear and to listen. And God gave you a heart like that is, is like in so many ways that heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now you live for Christ. What a wonderful thing to know that we can be a part of this new growth, this new living humanity that God has ordained would come from uh, Adam. And even though Asa uh, is, is many years prior to the coming of Jesus, of whom we read just a 
few minutes ago, even though Asa lived uh, many, many years prior, and uh, he was yet heir of the promise, and he was one who believed the promise of the coming Messiah, and he was engrafted into Christ even before Christ came. And so then we see uh, Asa's family tree. But uh, the great thing is, is that Asa uh, uh, did not do what his earthly father did, but he had another father. And the text says, as David, his father had done. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as David, his father, had done. And so, you see, he identified then uh, with David, uh, his father. And the author of uh, Kings wants us to hear that as, as we read about, well, who was Asa's father? Was it Abijam or was it David? Well, it's uh, Abijam in one sense, but it's David in another. Uh, David is the one that uh, Asa models himself after. David is the one whom the Lord has given um, uh, the heart of David to Asa. So that's the first thing for us to ask. And so I would ask you tonight, are you a new creature in Christ? Has Christ done that work of grace in your heart? Have you been united by faith to the Lord Jesus Christ? If so, you have the great privilege of belonging to him and uh, having uh, uh, that future hope of glory, which belongs now to Christ and belongs to you as well by faith. Secondly, we want to just note Asa's faith and the works that followed. We're told specific things that Asa did. Having been born of God, having been having a, a living faith, that faith then produced good works. And uh, we see that in this, in this godly king. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord as David his father had done. And so we notice uh, five things that Asa did. He put away, first of all, he put away the male cult prostitutes out of the land. It's an amazing thing to think that uh, Jerusalem, the city of David, Zion, and Judah, the town surrounding uh, Jerusalem, around uh, the city, that in these uh, towns and on the hills and the high places that had been erected, that there were male cult prostitutes. And this was tied to the pagan worship. It was tied to the cult of fertility. And the thinking was that uh, as uh, a person went to worship, they engaged a prostitute. And uh, that would uh, be a part of the actual order of service. That that would actually be a part of the worship that would be conducted in those places. You think about it. This is the very thing that the Canaanites before Israel practiced, and yet Israel, yet here is around in Judah, this was being practiced, and Asa put 
away the male cult prostitutes out of the land. He abolished it. And uh, that is one thing that uh, he did. We can thank the Lord for that. And then we see as well that uh, Asa uh, removed all the idols his father had made. He was willing to go against the things that his father, the norms and the traditions that his father handed down to him. Uh, That's uh, not an easy thing to do, to go against things that your parents give you. Um, But um, those who are brought up in uh, idolatrous ways uh, end up rejecting the idolatry of their parents. And Asa rejected the norms and the traditions that his father handed to him. And on top of that, in verse 13, we're told that he removed his mother, Maka, from being queen mother. He removed her from being queen, Matthew Henry says. That is, from conversing with his wife. Now, why does Matthew say that Matthew Henry put it that way? There's a a difficulty here. You might notice that in verse 10, uh, it is said that uh, his mother's name was Maka, the daughter of Abishalom. Well, if you back up in chapter 15 to verse 2, you'll read that Abijam uh, reigned in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Maka, the daughter of Abishalom. And so, uh, most commentators of the old school, Matthew Henry being one of them, say, well, it just could not be the case that, uh, that uh, Abijam had Asa by his own mother. And so it's interpreted then to be, well, it must be his grandmother. And uh, uh, the, the more uh, modern commentators say, well, the Hebrew text actually is pretty clear. And if you take it at face value, what it says is that Asa is the child of an incestuous relationship between Abijam and his mother. Pretty sad, pretty sad in terms of how far uh, ungodly uh, living had uh, crept into the life of Judah. So Asa removed his own mother from being queen mother, and this must have cost him a great deal in terms of the relationship with his family. Asa went against, you can imagine, um, if you uh, were in that situation, uh, a child uh, removing his mother from the position of being queen mother. And that was a position of great power, second only to the king. He removed her, and he went against all of the pressures that must have been on him. And he did that because he was following after the Lord. And uh, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. 
we told that uh, the reason that he did it was that she had uh, she had made an abominable image. Uh, verse, uh, verse uh, thirteen. She had made an and it was thought that uh, this uh, object that uh, Marka had made and had installed was probably something that was very sexually explicit. Asa uh, destroyed it. He destroyed it and, uh, did, and had it cut down and burned it in the brook Kidron. And so he was faithful in that respect. We're told in verse 14 that he did not remove all the high places. And that is mentioned as a fault toward Asa. And yet the author of Kings doesn't want us to, you know, leave with that in mind. He says, nevertheless, his heart was perfect toward the Lord all his days. And uh, Matthew Henry says this affords us a comfortable note. That those may be found honest and upright with God and be accepted by of him who yet in some instances come short of doing all the good that they should. So the the commendation that is given to Asa for what he had done in these respects, it overrides the fault that the author also mentions. And he also then mentions in verse 15, that Asa brought into the house of the Lord the sacred gifts of his father, his own sacred gifts, silver and gold, and vessels. And again, just to use um, uh, Matthew Henry on this, he says, we must not only cease to do evil, but learn to do well. Not only cast away idols, but dedicate ourselves and our all to God's glory. And so the point being made then is, by Matthew Henry in that observation, is that in removing idolatry from Judah, uh, Asa did well, uh, but in terms of positive obedience to God, he took that wealth that belonged to his father and to himself, and he brought it to the temple And so then, just a few points of application of this. The Lord requires us, and this is the thing, idolatry. What is idolatry? Idolatry is when we put anything before the requirements of God's word. There can be no question about what God requires for his worship. And Asa did what was right in abolishing the things that he abolished. And he did what was right in bringing the offerings into God's house. And so it is then that uh, the Lord requires us to put him first in all things. That means not tolerating those things that we may have had in our past or we may have been led by our peers to consider as not all that bad. But now that we are following Jesus, we see these things not as 
not all that bad, but as God sees them as sin. And any sin that we tolerate or allow, knowing the requirements of God's word about it, is an idol to us. And so sometimes we are tempted to minimize sin. And Asa didn't do that. He saw it for what it was, and he destroyed the idolatry in Judah. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 3, we read these words, For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to that, they are surprised when you don't join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. They malign you. Because you don't join them, you don't enter into the same flood of debauchery, they malign you. Think of how difficult it must have been for Asa to go against the tide, to go against all those who were nearest and dearest to him in his family. And how then are we also required in difficult situations often with those that we know and love to say we will not do things this way any longer. We will follow Christ being willing then to be made sport of, to be maligned, to be thought badly of by others. He took decisive action, Asa did, and we may find ourselves in the position of needing to do the same thing. It was costly, decisive action. Jesus said, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. It's not only uh, that... Uh, the the, the practices, but even in our own hearts and even in our own uh, behaviors and thoughts, there's the need for us to oppose and to put to death those things that we know God hates. That's what Asa did, and it's what made him uh, a man after David's own heart. We think thirdly about Asa's trouble. Asa's trouble. We find in verses 16 and following that there was war between Asa and Basha, the king of Israel, all their days. You've not been introduced to Basha yet, but in the coming chapters we will be. He is the king of Israel at this time that Asa is ruling. And Basha comes against Judah, and he builds up the town of Ramah that he might create a blockade so that uh, no one would be able, permitted, to go, to go out or to come in to Asa, king of Judah. And you can see Asa is reforming the worship of uh, Judah. He's, he's uh, calling upon the people of God to be faithful to the Lord. And uh, Basha is concerned, as was Jeroboam before him, that there would be an influx of people from the northern kingdom to the southern kingdom of Judah. And he's building here almost what you could call a Berlin Wall, a wall or a fortress that would prevent people from going out of the northern kingdom, from getting out, getting out to the worship of God in Jerusalem. A kind of separation 
of the north from the south. And so what did Asa do? Well, we're told what he did in verse 18. He took all the, all the silver and the gold that were left in the treasuries of the house of the Lord and the treasuries of the king's house, and he gave them to the hands of his servants. And uh, he sends this silver and gold to Ben-Hadad, this, and uh, uh, he, he tells them, uh, to, he says to Ben-Hadad, let there be a covenant between me and you. Now here he says, as there was between my father and your father. Now isn't that a slide? As there was between my father and your father. Behold, I am sending to you a present of silver and gold. And the word present there is in the Hebrew, actually bribe. I'm sending you this bribe of silver and gold. And uh, break your covenant with Basha and uh, that, that he may withdraw from me. So Ben-Hadad listened to Asa, and he sent uh, the commanders of his armies to invade the northern cities. And the cities are mentioned for us in verse 20. And uh, then uh, when Basha heard, uh, king of uh, the northern kingdom, when he hears about the, these invasions in the north of his kingdom, he uh, stopped building Ramah. And then he lived in Terzah. And then King Asa made a proclamation to all the people in Judah that each was to go and to carry something of the stones and uh, the various timbers that were left from the building project there and to disperse them and use them for other things. And then the uh, writer concerning uh, Asa, he says, uh, the rest of all of the acts of Asa and all his might and all that he did in the cities that he built, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles? But in his old age, he was diseased in his feet. Here we find a kind of uh, behavior in Asa that is troublesome. In the latter part of his reign, after he has had enormous successes, Something happened in his walk with the Lord where when, he, when uh, Rama was being built by Basha, instead of going to the Lord and saying, Lord, look what he's doing. What would you have me to do? And calling upon the Lord for help what does he do? He engages in good old secular diplomacy. He comes up with a plan. And the plan is, all of this money that he had just taken from his father's treasury, that his father had and that he had, and brought to the house of the Lord, all, that, all, all those treasures, what does he do? He carts it off to Ben-Hadad and offers to him as a bribe. There's a sad, sad chapter in Asa's life. And uh, the, the thing is, is, is that his plan actually worked. Basha stopped building Ramah, the city of Ramah, and uh, Asa came up with the plan of getting rid of all of this stuff and dispersing the building materials. And so he was successful. And... Uh, the writer of Kings doesn't explicitly condemn Asa. And that's what's the interesting thing. If you read about Asa in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, 
you read something very different. But the writer of Kings does not explicitly condemn Asa. He, it sort of just presents it. It just presents what Asa did. And uh, Ralph Davis says, does this mean that the writer of Kings approves of this scheme? And Ralph Davis says, I think not. The criticism is more muted than in Chronicles, but it is nevertheless present. It's present just because if you just read the facts, you can see what he's doing. In 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verses 7 and following, the Lord sent a prophet to uh, Asa who said this, Because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. I'm referring to an earlier battle that was fought between Asa and the Ethiopians and the Libyans who had sent a very large army to attack Jerusalem and Judah. Were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet at that time, because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. You have done foolishly in this, for from now on you will have wars. That's the reading from Chronicles. And then it says that the Lord afflicted Asa in his feet. Whereas the author of Kings tells us that Asa is afflicted in his feet, it doesn't give us the backstory. It doesn't tell us why. Because it seems as though the author of Kings is wanting to present to us Asa as a man of God who was faulty in some respects. Though he was uh, victorious in many ways, yet he was a sinner. Uh, Ralph Davis comments on this. He says, success, Asa's success in his strategy is no authentication of fidelity. Circumstantial success and covenantal failure can exist side by side, and that is a sobering thought. You can be successful and unfaithful to the Lord at the same time. Success in your plans doesn't mean that God approves of those plans. That's what the point that's being made. Asa was a sinner. And instead of calling on God, how often do we find ourselves in similar situations? It just seems as though the solution to our problem is so self-evident. If we were just to engage in this, in this uh, strategy, we could solve our problem. But what does the text want us to take from that? wants us to see that in every situation that we find ourselves with a problem that we don't know how to solve, what should our first course of action be? Lord, help me. Lord, you solve this problem. Lord, you guide me, help me to know what you would have me to do. Asa just relied on his good old fleshly common sense 
uh, diplomacy, and in the process, uh, disobeyed God. It seems pretty self-evident if we ask the question, what should Asa have done? He should have called upon the Lord. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa was diseased in his feet, and that disease became severe. And we're told in Chronicles that even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord. So there was a, in Asa's case, there was a, a movement away from constant dependence upon the Lord. We sometimes go away from our own strategic plans, hurting and limping. And that's what Asa did. He suffered the consequences of his own foolishness. He was a sinful man. But nevertheless, the writer of Kings wants us to see him as a man who loved the Lord and was obedient to him. He was a lot like we are, called by God, loved by God, indwelt by his Holy Spirit, and yet so often falling, so often failing, and having to come before the Lord and ask his forgiveness for our foolishness. It's a wonderful thing that the promise that was given to David was, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. But what do we read of Asa? Asa slept with his fathers. He was buried with his fathers in the city of David his father, and Jehoshaphat his son reigned in his place. The Apostle Paul announced to the Romans the gospel of Jesus Christ in this way, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through the prophets and the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace. And so the message of the gospel is this. Asa was a godly man. He was a sinner. He died and he was buried. Jesus, Asa's son, the descendant of David, came into our world, took upon himself our humanity, true humanity. He died. He was buried. But death could not hold him. And so you take these kings, and of each one, it says, and he died, and his son reigned in his place. It was all pointing to that one greater son, who died on a cross for our sins, was buried. God raised him from the dead for our justification. And it is as we are planted in him 
that we also have the hope of such great glory and the resurrection that lies ahead. Let us pray. Our gracious God and our Heavenly Father, keep us, we pray, keep us ever walking, ever following, ever seeking your face. Forgive us for those times when we do rely upon our flesh. We go about and we do things in our own way. Help us, O Lord, in time of need to rely upon you. Help us to remember the one who is our heavenly Father and the one to whom we are joined, namely the Lord Jesus Christ. And help us, O Lord, to follow him. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.